0: Well, we've been talking about a bride fit for the king, that bride is us. The Bible says that the church of Jesus Christ is his bride, not you and me as individuals, but us collectively, past, present, and future in all places, in all times, those who have Christ dwelling in them make up the one he loves the most, his bride. And the hope that we just sang about is the hope of the wedding supper of the Lamb, the hope that goes over all the bumps and disappointments and tragedies of life because beyond the grave, we will be with him forever. I hope you have that hope in you this morning. And if you don't, there will be a time of prayer right after the message right out here in this patio area, and there are people trained to pray with you. Uh, And we'd love to introduce you to the bridegroom so that you can live a life of hope no matter what happens. Well, today's message is about the temple of God, and the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6 that we read, the temple that he wants is our body. Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to read this again in the ESV this time, and uh, then I'm going to ask you to take one minute and tell the person next to you what it says. In your own words, you're going to repeat it uh, just to get it clear in your mind, so be thinking as we read through it. Uh, what it says so that you can proclaim it, preach it to the person sitting next to you. And then also this week, I would like you to think of a person you can tell this message to this week. Somebody in your life needs to hear what the Holy Spirit is going to teach you this morning, and you need to go prepared to say that. So the first step is to read it again and then to say it to each other. So here we go. All things are lawful for me. We can read out loud together. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up. By his power, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. All right, before you forget it, turn to the person next to you. And one of you, tell in your own words what we just read. All right, how'd they do? If there's anything out of place, did they add anything or take away anything? Did they say something that wasn't in there? You know, let them know. And be thinking about who you might tell this week of what we learned this morning. There's an old story, and it's used in many sermons, so you've probably already heard it. But it bears telling again this morning. There's a story about a little boy who made a sailboat. He collected the wood and he cut it to the right shape and he glued it all together and he painted it just the right color. He put up a little mast and a sail and the strings for the rigging and he loved it. And he attached a string to the front and took it down to the river and set it sailing on the river. And he held on to that string for a while and adored that boat as it was sailing over the current. But Then the current got a little strong and pulled the string out of that boy's hand and swept the boat down the river. And it went out of sight, and he lost it, and he went home very sad and was weeping about that for several days until one day, coming home from school, he went in front of the toy store, and he looked in the window, and there was his little boat for sale. It had a for sale sign on it and a price, and he looked at it carefully and thought, that's my boat, and he went in and he told the store owner, that boat is my boat, I made it. And the store owner said, I'm sorry, I bought it from someone, and now it's for sale. So he went home sad again, but courageously asked his mother for jobs to do so that he could make money, and he worked all week until the weekend, and he went back to the toy store with the money in his hand, and he said, here's the price. I want to buy my boat. And The man took the money, handed him the boat, and says, it's yours. And The boy looked at that boat, and as he walked out the door, he said, little boat, you are twice mine. I made you. And now I have bought you. And that's the way we are, isn't it? Those of us who have come under the redeeming blood of the cross of Calvary have been purchased, redeemed, uh, ransomed from the kidnapping power of sin and Satan and from the wrath of God. That's the main uh, receiver of the price of Jesus. That Jesus paid the price to satisfy the just wrath of our Father who loves us so that he can be both the just just God that he is and the justifier of those who believe. All that to give rise to this idea that Paul puts forward in a letter to a church in Corinth. You know, when we read the epistles, we're reading somebody else's mail, right? But as you study it, you find that it's a letter to you as well. Paul used, the Spirit used Paul to write the Corinthians to say things that all of us can benefit from. And so the more you dig in, the more you hear the Holy Spirit saying, this is you, you need to hear this. And I believe that's what we will do this morning. One of the greatest enemies of the church in all of its ages, and today is no different, is Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the belief that personal knowledge is salvation. And that the physical world, what is done in the body, is irrelevant at best. It doesn't really matter what you do. uh, As long as you come to church and listen and learn, as long as you read the Bible and have the right thoughts in your head, what you do is pretty irrelevant. You're still going going to heaven when you die because you have the right knowledge. What that ended up doing is two extremes, either becoming licentious on the one hand or legalistic on the other. So licentiousness would be what Paul starts out by saying, all things are lawful for me. I can do whatever I want because Jesus bought my freedom. Now I can just do whatever I feel like. And Paul answers that very clearly, but not all things are helpful. Not all things benefit me. They say all things are lawful. God created the stomach and he created food. So just eat whatever you want and as much as you possibly can. And then Paul's saying that's not the way a Christian lives. Chapter 7, verse 1, right beyond what we read, says, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And he goes on to talk about marriage and sexuality. So the Corinthian church have some issues with sexuality in fact if you read the whole book you'll find out there was a guy in the church that was living with his dad's wife his own stepmother had become his wife probably out of wedlock and paul says this is an abomination like not even the world does and you're applauding it and he goes on to discipline that person very severely to the point of saying turn him over to satan so his soul can be saved the body was punished for the salvation of the soul. So a very clear connection between the physical and the spiritual in Paul's theology. And that's what we've been talking about in, in uh, Sunday school and other times that a healthy church practices discipline because it matters what you do. It matters where you go. It matters what you say because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now whenever you study the Bible, and this is for you kids as well, There are three things you need to do with a text. First, you observe it. So you look at it very carefully, uh, read it over several times, maybe in several translations like we've done this morning. Secondly, you interpret it. You start by saying, okay, Paul was talking to the Corinthians. What was he trying to say to them? That's what we've just done. And you talk about what it means for you. And then finally, you apply it. So observation, interpretation, and application. Let's move into interpretation. Verse 13 says, The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. God made your body for himself. God made you. And he made you for himself. He wants to use your body. He wants to inhabit your body by his spirit. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And he goes on to talk about prostitution probably because they were saying, hey, there are guys in our church that think it's okay to do whatever they want with their sexuality. However they feel, they think that may be okay because we're free in Christ, right? What does Paul say? Very clearly. No, no, that's not right. Don't you know that when you have sex with someone, you become one with that person? And So the Bible teaches, and we don't have time to go into all the details, but sex is for the covenant relationship within marriage of a man and a woman for life, for those two people, because it represents his oneness in the Trinity. Prostitution could be be all kinds of things. We could define it as the, the highest immediate pleasure for the lowest immediate cost. In any area of your life, selling your soul cheaply for some fix that you get quickly with very little commitment and very little cost. As low. It's the, it's the economic exchange of our world. The bottom line makes it right. If it's cheap and good, buy it. And God said, no, that's not how a Christian lives his life. We live our life In covenant with the Lord himself, who is our bridegroom. God made your body for himself. The second interpretive point comes from verse 14. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. God will raise your body from the grave to be a new eternal body like Christ's. John 5, 28 and 29 caught my attention just recently as we were reading through the New Testament. Do not be amazed at this, says Jesus, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to life, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. John 5, 28 and 29. Mary is over there in that cemetery. No, she's not over there. Her body is. Her body probably doesn't look as nice as it did when we buried her the other day. But one day, she herself will hear the loud shout and will rise to live because she had righteousness in her soul through the Holy Spirit and through salvation by grace. That's an amazing way to live. Your body, we don't know how, but we'll be raised and will be made like Christ's eternal body. Maybe you'll be able to go through locked doors and walls and rise up into the clouds. Who knows? Some people think you won't be recognized, but the disciples recognized their Lord in his new body, didn't they? You will certainly be recognizable to all of us, and we will rejoice to see you there. The third interpretive point comes also from verse 14, the last part. Do you not know that your bodies are... Members of Christ. Now we're getting close to where I think the Lord wants to speak to us. Your body is a member of Christ. Jesus makes our hands and feet and faces into his hands and feet and faces by the Spirit, by the new birth. And in the indwelling of God's very presence through His Spirit, your facial expression is Jesus' facial expression. Or that's what He wants. Because your body is a member of Christ. And see, I think we slip into Gnosticism when we turn salvation into only the head, only the Spirit. We talk about the heart, but it's not that little bombinha down in your chest. It's some kind of soul cloud thing. And God says your body is a member of Christ. He wants to live in you, in location, in your culture, male or female, Brazilian or German. He wants to express himself in the flavor of who you are, where you are, what you look like. He wants to make our bodies his members. Don't turn it into Gnosticism by thinking it's not physical. What you do with your body is very, very important. The fourth interpretive principle comes from verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Now, I want to suggest that we change that word temple or we interpret it as tabernacle. And that comes from Paul's own writings to this same church in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 and 2. Uh, Here's what he says, and I'll read all the way through verse 5. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, what earthly tent we live in? This body, right? Temporary, it's going to be destroyed if Jesus doesn't come back sooner. Paul's talking about our physical earthly body, and he calls it the earthly tent we live in. If it's destroyed, we have a building from God. So he switches up to permanent, founded, established. A building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we'll not be found naked. For while we're in this tent, we groan in our burden. Anybody groaning this morning? I hope so. Groaning means you know you're not staying here and you don't want to. Because you're looking to heaven, to that hope that we have. Meanwhile, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclosed. In other words, we're not suicidal. We don't want to die. But to be closed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Paul sees our earthly temple like the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Remember the tabernacle? Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and God says, and if he, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 1, be very careful to make this sanctuary exactly like the pattern I show you in, on the mountain, because this is patterned after heaven. This is where I want to live. This is how I structure my house. And he didn't tell him to make a building for several reasons. And I think those reasons have to do with us in our bodies. The tent itself. It was not like this picture. It was made out of skins. It was made out of goat skins and ram skins covered in porpoise skins so that they would be uh, waterproof and insulated from the sun. It wasn't a beautiful thing. Didn't have anything to attract people to it. The beauty. Was the furniture inside that represented the, the presence of God, and more than represented, actually contained God's traveling presence with his people. When they were ready to move, they rolled it all up, and the sons of Merari and the sons of Kohath put it on their shoulders and walked off through the desert following the cloud and the pillar of fire. So it was a mobile sanctuary that served as God's habitation among his people. Think about that with your body. Let's look at it a little more closely. Inside that tent were three areas there was the outer court, there was the holy place, and then way back in the center was the Ark of the Covenant, which was the Holy of Holies. Who went in there? The high priest, once a year, to bring atonement, to bring blood. Who is our high priest? The Lord is our high priest, the Lord Jesus himself. And he's gone in behind the veil, and his body is that rent veil, and he allows us access, but his spirit lives down in our spirit, and he's given us life. So when Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually, not physically, not in the the emotional life or mental life, but they died in the spirit. They became walking dead people. When we accept Christ, his spirit comes into that inner sanctuary where we don't even feel it, behind our consciousness, and says, live by the grace of God. And he begins to live down inside of our bodies, and he makes our soul, which is our feelings, our thinking, our desires, to be alive in Him and slowly come into conformity with Him. So that's the holy place where you have the table of the showbread, the bread of His presence. Let me ask you, do you know how to feed on the presence of God in your soul? Do you know how to be satisfied in His presence when everything else is going haywire? The bread of His presence is in us, in our bodies, there where we feel and where we think and where we desire. The incense altar obviously represents what? Paul says it, like prayer. Incense is like prayer. Constant prayers going up that give us the the aroma of Christ. And then the lampstand is the light of his presence, the seven spirits of God for the seven churches of God in Revelation, perhaps. But the light that we become the light, our eyes are bright because they're filled with the, the, the Holy Spirit. If you belong to Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in your body. And he wants to inhabit you more and more fully so that you become a traveling sanctuary of God, body, soul, and spirit. Now, this is not in the Bible. So these are my ideas of interpretation. You may push back on me. I have good friends who believe that we're just body and soul or that soul and spirit are the same thing. That's fine. That's okay. But listen to the benediction from 1 Thessalonians 5.23, and it mentions all three. There are some things we need to do in order not to be Hearers of the word only. 2 Corinthians 2:15 says, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. We need to repent. We need to repent of thinking that the body doesn't really matter as long as our doctrine is straight. We need to repent of thinking that virtual reality is good enough. So we love to talk about virtual reality. Now, I remember a few years ago, that was an oxymoron. There was no such thing as virtual reality. They're opposites. Either you're virtual or you're real. And there are some of you who are sitting at home watching this on TV, and you could be here. I want to challenge you to come. You can come now. Your body is important. It's important to us. It's important to our fellowship because you bring Christ in a flavor, in an aroma that is individual to each person. And gathering means gathering. Gathering means coming together in our traveling sanctuaries with his spirit in our hearts. And so let's repent of thinking that the body doesn't matter. Repent of thinking that whatever you do during the week isn't important as long as you go to church. Your body counts. Repent of stealing what belongs to God and using it for our own pride and pleasure. Ezekiel had a vision of the temple of God with abominable images scrawled on the walls. Nobody will know, you might think, at midnight during the week if I look at a certain site. But we will all suffer because you are a member of Christ. And what you see is part of all of our emotional and spiritual health. It matters very much. And finally, repent of saving your physical life. Jesus said if you save your life, you will lose it. Of thinking that safety is first. Physical safety is not first. Obedience is. It's important to keep our families safe. But if you save your life in the the flesh... You will end up not doing things that God wants you to do, which might not be very comfortable or secure. And I'd like to challenge you that there are three things we can do about this. The first comes right out of the passage honor God with your body. When I worked with Abba, I read a little book called In the Name of Jesus. And the pastor who wrote that book said, as you move into communities among groups, in and out, you go in his stead. You go for his work in his name. And so he was challenging us to actually put our hands on people's heads and say, Lord, bless this one. And so as I'd go into the favela, I'd say, Father, give this one a propensity to believe. Show this one how much you love them. Shower grace on this one to see their own sin. Protect this one from evil people. Use this one for your work. And they didn't even know I was doing it. I was just sort of putting my hands on their heads. Not because I was anything special, but because the power of the Holy Spirit was in my body and it had arrived in that neighborhood through me. And if I hadn't gone there, yes, God is everywhere. God can do whatever he wants. But God chooses to use my tent to spread his aroma everywhere. And I believe it. And I want my prayerful faith to shed that aroma all around. To shine the light in the darkness. And honor God with my body. No prostitution. Honor God with your body means... Don't buy maximum immediate pleasure for minimum immediate cost. Don't have sex out of the covenant of marriage. I counseled a young, engaged couple here, and they've been engaged for almost a year. And they have not been together sexually because they believe this. And I congratulated them. God will bless you. God will give you intimacy, lasting physical intimacy because of your acceptance by faith of this truth. Honor God with your body. Worship God in his temple. Remember the the woman at at the well, the Samaritan woman? She said, where should we worship God? Some say in this mountain, some say down in your mountain. Where's the right place? And God, what did Jesus say? Neither one. In spirit. And in truth, which means down where the Spirit lives, honor God, worship Him there all the time because you carry His presence wherever you go. When you fall asleep, when you wake up at three in the morning, when you get up in the morning and you're not really happy about going to work, worship the King in your own spirit because that's where He rejoices to live. This week I went past a little building that has the words Templo Batista. Uh, written in big black letters on the front. And I thought, yeah, maybe, when the people are there. But not if it's just an empty building like it is right now. It's not a temple. The temple of God where you can worship God fully is in you. And especially in us as we gather our separate tents. Maybe we should say we're each a goat skin, right? We're each one of those skins and we're sewed together so that when we all come together, then we make a full tabernacle for his praise and his glory. Be holy as he is holy. And then finally, spread the aroma of Christ everywhere. There are places that don't know the shining of his love. That's what we heard in Sunday school. We need to be a people who think about where we go so that we can maximize the effect of his kingdom. Do you know that you're twice bought? I hope so. Jesus made you for himself. He made your body for himself. He wants to express his love in you in a way that no one else can express it, and in places where nobody else is doing it. Honor him with your body. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for giving us our bodies so that you can express yourself in location, in culture, in relationships with real people. Forgive us, Lord, for stealing what is yours, made and bought, and for using it for our own immediate pleasure. May we offer the members of our body to you for as instruments of righteousness this week. Spread your aroma through us. Use us to worship you wherever we are. We love you. We thank you. And we ask your help in obeying your word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.